0: Well, last week, Pastor Brad kicked off our new sermon series, one that calls us to a vision to embrace for 2015. And I hope you're as fired up about it as I am. We're hoping that God would raise up a generation of Christians who have the courage to stand, the confidence to speak up, and the heart to sacrifice because they're committed to the truth of God's word, the mission of God's church, and the mercy of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Christ. And I'm particularly excited that you are with us here at Grace Fellowship Church, especially if this is your first Sunday with us. I'm glad you're here because I really believe you're at a place in which God has done some amazing things and he's shown no sign of being finished. And the glory for all of it goes to no one human being, no group of human beings, no group of uh, really sharp brains that gather together in one room to formulate ministry strategy. We want to say along with Fanny Crosby, to God be the glory, great things he has done. And it's my sincere hope and my sincere prayer, particularly if you're new among us, that it won't be long before you see and experience the grace of God at work in your life as well. Now, in order to fully appreciate our past, which God, uh, no, not which God, which Brad spoke about last week, God not got bread, spoke about last week in a message entitled, Where Are We?, you need to understand who we are. So that's the title uh, that you'll see in our sermon series, uh, our sermon today in the sermon series. Who are we? Who has God called us to be? Fun fact, uh, which you may or may not know, but I, uh, I play the piano. I play the piano. I've played since I was six years old. And it used to be a more regular part of my uh, ministry because I led worship on a regular basis at uh, the last church that I was at in New York City. But it's funny, lots of people don't realize that because it's just not part of my thing here. It's not what I do. It's not what I've been called to do. But I do play the piano. And uh, I'm not one of those people who plays like 19 different instruments. Like, well, I play piano, but I can kind of fake my way on these other things. Uh-uh. I play piano. I play keyboard. That's it. I I can, that's it. That's it. I've never played a brass instrument in my life. Um, However, uh, one of the, this is just what little I know of it, one of the simplest brass instruments out there would be the bugle. Now, I don't mean simple necessarily that it's easy to play. I tried playing it one time, almost popped my eardrums, but just simple in its design, right? Just simple in how it is uh, designed. (coughs) Excuse me. And bugles aren't like other instruments in that they are, there aren't any valves on any part of it that can really alter pitch or tone. Or, and someone playing the bugle can only control the pitch by the way, they, the way they move their mouth, specifically their lips, unlike other brass instruments which have valves of sorts to make different sounds. Now, due to the design of the bugle, it's going to be limited to notes to some degree within the harmonic series to which it was designed or tuned. And that's why if you listen to a bugle call, a standard bugle call usually consists of about five notes. And they're played in different succession. They're played in different tempo, different rhythm, but it's at the end of the day, usually about five notes. If you wanted to play a wider range of notes, it would probably be better for you to utilize a different instrument. Now, why do I bring this up? Why is he talking about an instrument that he can't even play as a point of a sermon illustration? Well, I'm glad you asked. Over the years... God has been pleased to do great things among us at Grace Fellowship Church through a fairly limited set of notes. We know who we are. We know how God has created us. and We quite frankly know the key to which he's tuned us and the notes he's designed us to play. And so we believe we're wise to play to our strengths. We want to play the notes he's called us to play. Believing that doing so and trusting that having done so over the years... Uh, That has created ministry that would be music to his ears, the one audience we seek to please with our lives. So, knowing that we are the Boogie Boogie Bugle Boy of Company GFC, we want to look back on what are the notes that God has called us to play and play to our strengths and play well and play to the glory of God. God. The title of the sermon today, as I said before, is Who Are We? And I want to talk about uh, these, these notes, these limited set of notes, the foundation upon which God has done great things, things we refer to as our eight big rocks, hoping and praying that God will use our time in his word today to prepare us, all of us, for long-lasting, effective, fruitful ministry throughout 2015 and beyond. Before we move on, I'd like to pray to that end. So would you bow your heads with me as I pray for our time together? Lord, we come before you today, uh, first and foremost, with uh, glad and grateful hearts, Lord, for mercy and for grace and for your gospel and for your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for choosing for yourself a people that you would redeem, that you would give life to, that you would choose to be merciful and gracious to and not treat us as our sins deserve, but would pour out upon us grace upon grace upon grace. We love you And thank you for quickening us, for uh, your Holy Spirit, which indwells us. Thank you for giving us life when we had no hope apart from you. And God, I pray that you would use our time today in your word uh, to bless us even more with grace that we need to be sanctified. Lord, would you do a great work in our time today as we open up your word and really look back upon the good and great work that you've done among us over the years so that you might receive the glory and that we might be edified for your name's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we're going to do is spend our time looking at what we commonly refer to as the eight big rocks. Eight big rocks, and I'm going to move through them in fairly short order and fairly quickly uh, so that we can look at some further application for us uh, as we seek to look at who we are and who God has called us to be. Number one, we are Bible-based. You may hear that and say, thank you, Captain Obvious. We're a church. Of course, we're Bible-based. Well, that means that you probably aren't familiar with many churches and you probably haven't visited many churches because not every church that waves around the Bible and not every church that has someone standing up and preaching or speaking is really rooted in the Bible. And you say, well, that's just something pastors say. No, that's not true. When you go to a church, you will sometimes see, and I'm, I'm not saying we're the only church that's Bible-based, but when you go to a church, you'll sometimes see somebody hold up a Bible, see somebody open a Bible, have somebody read something from the Bible, but the vast majority of the sermon is really just something pithy and encouraging and has us all leaving feeling a lot better. But in reality, how much of God's word have you really learned? How much of God's word, not man's word, God's word have you learned and been able to put into practice? Our teaching comes from the word of God. I just wanted to let you know that, that if you're new among us, our teaching comes from the word of God. And if it's not in the word of God, it won't find its way into our pulpit, period. And that's how it's been since 1992. Our teaching comes from God's word. Why? Because 2 Timothy 3:16 and following tells us we don't have to look anywhere else. God tells us that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped unto every good work. Grace Fellowship Church, by God's grace, is one that is Bible-based. Furthermore, we are ministry-minded. So not only are we Bible-based, but we want to do something with the Bible. We want to equip you to use the word of God in your life so that you might help other people, that you might live a life that is pleasing to God. See, it's one thing to be Bible-based, but we're not so jazzed up about the information that we know that we just present fun facts to you for you to know just for the sake of knowing them. We want you to do more than impress people at parties. We want you to take the word of God and live it out so that it would change your life and change the lives of people around you. And that's why we seek to be an equipping church. We want to equip you The Bible is called the sword of the spirit in Ephesians chapter 6. And we want you to wield that sword well. We don't want you just to hang it up and look at that sword and say, Oh, that's a really pretty sword. We don't want you just to hold it. We want it to be used, used in your life so that God might receive all the more glory. And this isn't our idea. It comes from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. It says, He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping, there it is, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The fact that God has called us to be an equipping church comes right out of the Bible, It's not something that one person thought up of. It's something that God thought up of and thought up of thought of. And we would like to be that because we believe that that is what pleases him. And quite frankly, I'm not doing my job if I, as a pastor, am doing the ministry. I'm Doing my job if I, as a pastor, am doing ministry because I'm a Christian, but also equipping other people to do ministry so that we can do that to the glory of God. God, And that's why you see lots of equipping going on. That's why we have things like Joshua's men and women of the word and three counseling and discipleship training conferences every fall. We want to equip you to understand the word of God well so that you would have the confidence to speak about it, the confidence to counsel it, and help others as well unto both salvation and to sanctification. We are Bible-based, we are ministry-minded, and we are a praying church. We are prayer-saturated look at uh, one of the scriptures that I put there is Psalm 27 and verse 8. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. We are a church of a people who believe greatly in the power of prayer. Now, on a personal note, this for me, and I think Brad and, and most of the elders share this as well, but speaking for myself, this is probably one of the more Uh, difficult big rocks for me because I can't readily prove it. Does does that make sense? Like, I can say, look, we're Bible-based. How can you prove that? Well, I mean, look at the sermons we preach. Try to find a sermon, I dare you, that's not based in Scripture. Like, look back in the sermon archives and try to find one that's not based in the Word of God. I can prove that we're Bible-based. I can prove that we're ministry-minded. I can tell you about the conferences that we offer and how we strive to come alongside people and equip them. I can prove that we're missions-minded. I can prove that we're passionate about small groups and biblical counseling. And I can prove that we're a praying church because we, we pray and all, all right? Leave me alone. Don't judge me. Like, I, I, don't, know what, I don't know what to really fill in. Does, does that make sense? Now, I, I believe that you pray because you love the Lord and people who love the Lord pray. And you believe that I pray and you assume that I pray because you know I love the Lord and therefore you know that I pray. But what would it be like if we were a, a, a praying church? Here's my answer. I don't really know. I just wish it was more part of our culture as a church. You say, that's incredibly vague. Eh, what are you going to do? It, it, it's, I, I don't know. I wish prayer had more of a, more of a presence among us uh, such that uh, it would greatly affect us on a personal and on a corporate level. Um, corporately, meaning. It's common to go up to somebody and say, what small group are you in? It's even common for, uh, among us for people to say, oh, yeah, I just started counseling with so-and-so. You think about that. Like in lots of churches, that's super taboo. i counseling. For us, it's really not a big deal, right? Someone says, oh, I started counseling with Bud Finnell. Oh, okay, that's really cool. He seems really good. I did counseling with him too. It's like normal among us. You know, people are like, what are you guys, obsessed with therapy? No, it's just, it's it's normal among us. It's normative to go up to someone and say, what small group are you in? I wonder what it would look like if prayer was normative among us as a church. What would that look like among us? What might God do among us? And I'm excited about it and wanting to see how God might have me use my ministry, influence, and my leadership, particularly at uh, Newport, where I pastor, to try to make that big rock more prominent among us. We're having our first uh, church prayer meeting at Newport on uh, February 2nd. Not because it's Groundhog Day, that's just when it worked out. And uh, I'm excited about that and really looking forward to that. And I blogged earlier this week about it, you know, kind of priming the pump and leading us up to that day, saying, if you think about it, when you read about a historical figure who really inspires you, uh, you read about, you read a biography, an autobiography, or just some sort of history book, um, it's great, but you cannot, th- th- you're limited to what you can read about that person, right? They are no longer here. Uh, they are probably dead, long gone. You're thankful for what they've accomplished, but the bottom line is they're not here. You just read about them because they are dead. It gets super weird if you start talking to them. So don't do that, and you can really just read about them. Why do we treat God like that? Does that make sense? I'm really excited about Bible reading. If you can read more, please do. Don't hear me saying this is unimportant. But we have the unique privilege and ability when it comes to the Lord to both read about him, hear from him, and speak to him. But I feel like so many times we're so obsessed with, in a good way kind of sort of with the reading of him and the studying of him and the learning about him and that's good that we limit our discussion to him to just thanking him for the meal that we're about to receive and i would long what would it be like i mean i've had teachers on various levels i had mr salmon his name was literally Mr. Salmon. Great uh, European history teacher. Sophomore year of high school. British guy. He, he spoke... Do you ever have a teacher like this? He spoke about people who had been dead for hundreds of years as if he went to school with them. You know what I'm talking about? People who could talk about... They're just so familiar with the history. This guy spoke about Charlemagne like they, they, like they shot hoops together or something. I mean, it was amazing. Dr. Michael Haken's a professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He, this is one of the best... I would say the best church history prof ever taught phenomenal classes on on the book of Acts and church history in general. Here's a man who spoke of, like, when he was speaking of Martin Luther nailing the 95 Theses to the door at Wittenberg, you assumed Dr. Haken was there holding the nails. But if you're anything like me, you would cut both their classes in a skinny minute to talk to these individuals if you could. I would. I can talk to God. I'm not limited to just, did you say limited about the scriptures? Calm down. I'm not limited to only reading. I can hear. I can dialogue. I can hear God speak to me through his word. I can speak back to him through prayer. So I hope this is something that God grows us in as a church, as individuals, but also as a church. It's something I've been excited to see God, by his grace, grow me in, particularly over the past year. I hope that we would become more of a praying church. What does that look like? I don't know. I'll let you know when we get there. Next, Big Rock, number four. Okay, so we are uh, Bible-based. We're ministry-minded. We are a praying church. And we're committed to God-focused praise and worship. Um, We are not just excited about every song that receives a Dove Award. We're not excited about every song that labels itself as Christian. Christian. Okay, that's not a pot shot at Christian music. I'm just saying not every, not every Jesus holds me so close, he's so warm and fuzzy, Jesus is my boyfriend song is going to find its way into this room. We're not going to be singing every song that claims itself to be Christian because we want to make sure our songs, make sure our voices, make sure the words reflect rightly the glory of God. Because we want to be singing to God and about God in an accurate way. And we take great strides, great strides to make sure that our uh, singing, our time of singing is not just something that just pumps us up and makes us feel really good so that we can then sit down and listen. Like, that's not what we're trying to do. We want to honor the Lord with this time and not just see it as, oh, this is the, this is the thing we do before the really important thing, right? This is the, that's, oh, that's cute. They start with music. That's awesome. A good way of like pulling people together. But then we get to the really important thing. No, we think it's really important from start to finish. And we want to honor the Lord in how we sing, what we sing, the content of what we sing. And we take great bread spence and others take great, go to great lengths to make sure that what we're singing is honoring to the Lord. Why? Psalm 50 verse 6 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So there seems to be an emphasis on the Lord. So we want to honor him in what we are singing in what we are saying and how we praise him. We're also committed to exalting and proclaiming the sovereignty of God. We love talking about the sovereignty of God. If you say really? I haven't noticed that. I say, welcome. I'm glad this is your first Sunday. It won't take long, okay? We really like the sovereignty of God. And it's not just because we want to like wave around some Calvinistic flag or, you know, plant a tulip garden and kind of make jokes to each other. That's not the point. Some of you got that. I like that. But, but uh, it's, we like the sovereignty of God because that's what the Bible preaches. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what the word of God tells us about. And we find it very comforting. It doesn't make us then just feel like robots, It makes us feel like agents of his grace and knowing that we are working according to his will. Not that we don't have free will. It's not that we don't have free choice. But knowing that God is in control of all things really, really, really helps me both in times of personal crisis and global crisis. I don't turn on the TV and hear about something terrible happening in Paris or locally or back in my own hometown of New York City and think, Oh my gosh, God was so busy here that this happened and Satan got a win. God has a lock on all things. He limits, orders, controls, and knows all things. All things. And we just want to make sure that you realize that the scriptures do not teach that there is some cosmic arm wrestling going on between God and Satan. And, oh, today Satan wins, but, oh, look, God's coming back. Oh. Three words. Our God reigns. Reigns, not tries, not gives it his best shot. God has tried at nothing. He rules, he reigns, he wins. The battle belongs to the Lord. The Bible unashamedly pro- proclaims that God is God over all. First Chronicles 29, 11 through 12. Yours, O Lord, is the great. Look what, look what is the Lord. Let's see, what is the Lord? Well, I'm glad you asked. Verse 11 tells us. The greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, the majesty, all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Wow. But that's not all. Uh, The kingdom, and you are exalted as head over all. Verse 12 says, Both riches and honor come from you. You reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Our God reigns. Isaiah 45 and verse 7. I form the light and create darkness. Read it. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Everything that happens in our life, everything that happens in our world, everything that happens in our universe is father-filtered, coming through the hands of a sovereign Lord who knows what he's doing. And with that knowledge, you don't then look around at world, at the world and interpret world events and say, oh, I know why this is happening. That just chafes me. It's like, oh, well, clearly God has judged this country because of that. You can't prove that. You can't prove that. Every time a hurricane washes up upon a beach, it's because somebody was drunk the night before, and God is judging that note. You can't prove that. You may not know why God is doing something, but you know that He is in control. Does that make sense? So we don't know. I don't prove. I, I, I don't claim to know clearly why events happen the way they do. I really don't know. I come up saying I don't know a lot, but God is in control. And your wayward son or daughter, or your You're you're the failing health and a family member who is a lot younger than you thought would ever be before they had failing health. And the job crisis and a money situation, you may not know why things are going on. Sometimes you do, but you may not. But we can breathe a little, a little bit of a sigh of relief to say, but God is in control. I'm not the victim of some random set of circumstances. God is in control, our God Rains that would be a great part for an amen <laughs> whatever, okay, moving on uh, the next big rock number six we are committed to being connected and growing through small groups. Small groups is something that we are really passionate and excited about at Grace Fellowship Church, and it's not just because we think it's a really cool and hip thing to do. It's because we see that in the scriptures. We see people gathering publicly together in large groups, not unlike this, but then we also see a great part of their lives lived, lived in smaller groups from house to house, where we believe that growth best happens. Now, that's not to say that growth can't happen as a result of hearing a a, a carefully crafted sermon of surely it can. That's not to say growth can't happen in your own personal Bible reading. Surely it can. But we believe that the most effective way for Christians to grow is not by sitting in rows, but by sitting in circles, facing one another, living life together, spurring one another on, ironing, sharpening iron, excuse me, iron, sharpening iron, and spurring one another on toward love and good deeds. And we believe that happens not in a room of hundreds, but in small groups of a few. In Acts chapter 2, we see this example. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and day by day, attending what? The temple together, big, and breaking bread in their homes, they'll be small, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. We don't see it as one or the other. Only home church, only big church. We think the scriptures teach both and And we're really excited about small groups and how God uses them among us to grow us and change us and give us opportunities to get to know one another, serve one another, correct one another, help one another, walk with one another through very, very, very difficult and trying times to the glory of God. Number seven, we are missions-minded. We are missions-minded. All that we do at Grace Fellowship Church at Florence, all that we do at Grace Fellowship Church at Newport is not just about... Florence, and Newport. It is about taking it to the uttermost parts of the earth. We send missionaries and equip missionaries and support missionaries. We, we dedicate a, a large portion of our budget to missions. We're not trying to build up the little Grace Fellowship Church kingdom. We, we have no interest in this becoming like six flags over Jesus. All right? this is not, we don't want to just become this big giant thing that happens only here in northern Kentucky. We want to go with the gospel to the tri-state and to the world. And by God's grace, we've been able to do that and continue to do that. We are missions-minded. It's not all about us. It's all about him and all about coming alongside ministries locally, ministries abroad, ministries here, ministries there, ministries way over there for the furthering and the advancement of his kingdom. Acts 1.8, "...but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth." And finally, we are grace-based. We are grace-based. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. What what do you mean grace-based? Well. Throughout the Bible, we see God, 100% pure, 100% holy, Jehovah God, choosing for himself a people, taking the first step towards people who not only didn't take a step towards him, but ran from him and would only turn around to look at him to flip him off. But our God is a God of mercy and a God of grace and who charges after us, charges after the lost sheep so that he could bring him home. And because of that grace, We've not gotten over it, folks, and I hope you haven't either. We are based and rooted in the grace of God, not just unto salvation, but then unto sanctification as well. We don't stop talking about grace after we're saved and we've got to move on to something else. We're obsessed with grace like it's in our name and all. We love the grace of God, and we are grace-based. It's this saving grace that justifies us in God's sight, and it's that same grace that empowers us to no longer be slaves to sin as we once were. So we're excited about the grace of God coming right into somebody's life and saving them, and then excited to watch that same grace of God be lived out in their life as all of us together die to self and live to Christ, as all of us together seek to put off the old and to put on the new man in Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, is our Big Rocks. Our mission can be summed up, how these big rocks are are lived out can be summed up in three G's. Gathering together in truth to worship God. Growing together by grace to become more like Christ. And going together with the gospel to the tri-state and world. Our big rocks can be found or lived out in those three G circles, if you will. We're either gathering, growing, or going. And then our vision for 2015, as we mentioned earlier and as Brad taught about last week and we'll continue to teach about next week, that God would raise up a generation of Christians who have the courage to stand, the confidence to speak up, and the heart to sacrifice because they're committed to the truth of God's word, the mission of God's church, and the mercy of God's Son, Jesus Christ. But, here's the thing. Big rocks can be tricky. I mean, think about it. Like a giant rock I mean, it can serve as a, a firm foundation upon which we can build or maybe you view it as a crushing weight under which we just crumble. Maybe you look at that list, you're like, that is a honking lot of things. A big rock can be something upon which we climb to reach new heights, taking a new view, a new perspective, something that we'd otherwise be unable to see from down below. Or it could be something that's just so Big and so pervasive and so intrusive that it just gets in the way, and it, it 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 it's something we trip over. Keep having to work our way around. What about you? Like when you look down that list, how do they strike you? Is this a are the, is it a good thing, or is it just another thing? Is it inspiring to you in your walk with the Lord, or is it just the same old same old thing? See, here's the deal. I don't, have a, I don't have a chapter or verse for what I'm about to say. I don't do that a ton, but I'm going to do that right now. I don't have a chapter or verse for what I'm about to say, but it's just based on my own life experience, and I trust that I'm, that you're similar to me in some way, shape, or form. The first time I hear something, particularly something that grips my heart, I'm very inspired by it, moved by it. It's on my mind often. I find myself thinking about it a lot. I may speak about it a lot. Why? Well, Hopefully because what I've heard is genuinely good and it's based in God's word and pleasing to him, but also because it's new, right? New. We get excited about things that are new. Ooh, that's new. We go, ooh, that's new. We'll do once again. Ooh, that's new. Like you get into it, you got a, a new car. It has that new car smell. We're like, wow, this is new. And after a couple of years, it's just your car. Just a car. But at one point it was, even if it's a used car, sometimes you're excited. It's like, oh, it's a new to me car. But then it's a car. Now, that may be you today. That maybe, maybe this is the first time you're hearing these things, um, what we refer to as Big Rocks of Grace Fellowship Church. And hopefully you hear them and think, wow, those are, those are good. Those are, those, are, those are solid. They're scripturally sound. They sound like what we ought to be focused on as a church. I'm excited about that. And if you've ever done a church search, how many of you have ever done a church search? You've had to do a church hunt. Maybe you've moved to a different area and you had to find a church. Maybe you've come out of a poor church situation and you're like, where would God have us worship? That can be a draining experience, a stressful experience, a hard experience. It's my hope and prayer that these big rocks cause you to realize that you've, I hope, found the right place because of what we major on, what we build our ministry upon. And if that's you, if you're inspired by these things, Welcome home. I'm glad we get to be here together. Now, maybe grace has been home to you for a little while and you've not heard these a ton, but it's not brand new to you. So you might be in the category that in your outline I've I've, I've called new, but then two. So maybe this is like the second time you're hearing them and it's not new, but it's not that old yet, right? So there's a middle ground and sometimes I need to hear something more than once before it really sinks in or really takes effect or really brings about change in my life. So Maybe it's, and it's not that the first time was ineffective in its presentation, it's just that I can be a little thick and, and I need to hear it more than once, and then it takes root. Um, the rocks are good, but sometimes I need to hear it twice. So maybe you're not in that first category where this is brand new, but you're, you're saying, okay, I've, I've heard this before, and uh, there's not a big wow factor, because it's not wow, I've heard them before, but you know, you're, cons- you're hearing it twice, and it's not so much inspiration for you, but Consideration. And you're like, oh, wow, I think we're going to, I guess we hear about these regularly. I thought I just stumbled upon them last year when I heard that, but I guess this is something we talk about regularly. Yes, happy new year. Here are our big rocks. And there's not a ton of glitter and shine to them to you because it's not something new, but it's something you like and it's something you consider. And then, 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 there's the rest of us. The vast majority of us who fall in that third category that I call tried and true. We're not new, it's more than two it's tried and true. And what that means is this. We've heard these big rocks for years. If you've been in the church since its inception, you know these big rocks are 23 years old. And that's the category the vast majority of us fit into. It's not that you don't love your kids when they're 23, but the new baby excitement is probably gone. You know, they're, they're 23. So, so it's, you, you, you still love them, but it's just different. You've, you've, you've been with them. Love you, but you're 23. And still love you, but not just not excited. about. You know what I mean. Anyway. Some of us are hearing this for the first time. Some are hearing it for the second time. The lion's share of us are hearing these for somewhere between the third and twenty third time. Quite frankly, it's hard to be inspired by something, the same somethings, the same eight big rocks, two or three or certainly twenty three times. Now, again, these categories are something I'm presenting to you today for your thought and your consideration. They are not from, they're from Third Peter not the Bible. It's it's just something I want you to consider as you think about these big rocks and say, where do I fit? Do I fit into one of those? Categorizing yourself in this way might help you find the the vision leak, right? And instead of just placing a bin under it saying, well, we'll just empty that out every once in a while, you can take appropriate action to fix the leak. See, friends, the the new vision we're casting in 2015, calling us to have Courage to stand, confidence to speak, heart to sacrifice. These are great and exciting, but they're not easy. Be excited about them, but don't think that they're easy. And eight big rocks and three G's and a new vision statement and a partridge in a pear tree do absolutely nothing for what God has called us to do if they remain an idea on a page, in a bulletin outline, or a sermon in a pulpit. We need to plug the leak with the proper materials or the leak will reappear before long. And what we need to plug the leak with is application. Application. What do these, I'm really excited about these big rocks. But if they don't make any difference in our lives, if we're not excited about them to the point that we then do something about them, they're just things. Just things. And it's application that brings about transformation in our own lives when it comes to really anything in the word of God. It's not the information alone that helps or brings about growth, but the application of that information that brings about transformation. Now, next week, next week, Pastor Brad will call us to action giving us Specific points of application for us to consider as we look to live out this new vision based on these big rocks that God has blessed us with. For the remainder of our time today, which is brief, I want to ask you to turn in your copy of the scriptures, please, to the Gospel of Mark and chapter 4. And what I'm going to do is I want to close by looking at a parable that Jesus told. I and mean, everyone loves a good story, and there's no better story to tell than the ones that Jesus told. And in Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells a story to prove a point that I think we can draw some parallel illustrations for us today as we consider the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils in Mark chapter 4. So turn there and read along silently as I read aloud beginning in verse 1 of Mark chapter 4. This is what the word of God says to us today. Again, he, Jesus, began to teach beside the sea. (laughs) And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea and on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it just withered away verse 7 other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain and other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold and he said he who has ears to hear let him hear now what is jesus talking about well instead of me explaining it just skip down to verse 13 jesus explains it right there and he said to them do you not understand this parable How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. But when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground that the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. But then when tribulation or persecution arises, on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Verse 18, and others... Are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. Now, if you look back at verse fourteen, you see that the seed is the word. Therefore, in each of these scenarios that our Lord presents in this parable, it's worth noting that in none of them is the problem with the seed, right? The seed is good. We're not talking about whether there was some good seed and bad seed and some jacked up seed and some really healthy seed. It's it's not the seed that's the problem. It's where it, what? Lands, right? It's the, the ground, the soil upon which it falls. The seed is good every time. The issue is with the seed, but it's where it's landed. Now, similarly... <clears throat> excuse me, how we receive the message today as we take a look at the big rocks of Grace Fellowship Church based in the word of God, whether you're hearing them for the first time, the second time, the third time, or the 23rd time, the rocks haven't changed. The rocks haven't moved. The rocks are good. It's, it's the situation you may find yourself in that may hinder you from benefiting from what each of these rocks stand for. Now, I love parables. I love the narratives of scripture. I love reading them. I Really enjoy teaching them. But we don't have time today to walk through the entire parable. But here's what I'd like to do. I want to take a quick look at the one soil, the one scenario that I think can apply to the vast majority of us. And that is the one found in chapter 4, verse 7 and later explained in verses 18 and 19. Take a look at uh, chapter 4, verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And skip down to verse 18 where it's explained. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. I recently read a book entitled Crazy Busy by pastor and author Kevin DeYoung. Great book, great read, easy read too. And in it, uh, Kevin DeYoung says this, busyness is like sin. In that you need to kill it, or it will be killing you. You need to kill it, or it will be killing you. And this third soil, this third scenario that Christ speaks of in this parable, the seed of the word seems to penetrate the ground, right? Because there is some sort of plant that's produced. It just doesn't, It's not that there was no life, it's that there was no what? Fruit. No grain was produced. Something came up, some little green, something came up. But there was no grain that was produced. It was fruitless. Not lifeless, but fruitless. In other words, it's not that the seed didn't penetrate the ground as in other scenarios, and it's not that nothing was produced as a result of the seed of the word, but it's that verse 7 tells us that it was choked out and it yielded no fruit. See, some people respond to the gospel, the word of God, as if as it's preached, and the response appears to be positive. But the fail here is not lifelessness, but one of fruitlessness. In one of his commentaries, John Calvin refers to the human heart as a thick forest of thorns. The human heart is a thick forest of thorns. And one of the greatest causes of vision leak or mission drift in the Christian life is our tendency to become consumed by three things. Three things that are always vying for our affections and our time. And we see those in verses 18 and 19. Others are the ones sown among thorns, those They are those who hear the word. Then verse 19 says, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Kevin DeYoung later in his book also says, for most of us, it isn't heresy or rank apostasy that will derail our profession of faith. It's all the worries of life, the worries of life. And these worries aren't bad. So I understand if you look at all those scenarios, which we're not going to look at today, you could say, but we need to be ready for persecution. Yeah, yeah, we do. We do. That's true. It's coming. I see it coming. The way this world is going in our country, I'm with you. I understand. I'm just talking about today. It's not long down the road. That's great. I love you. Today, today, probably our greatest pitfall to fall into is not necessarily looming persecution uh, to the point of death, at least. And it may not be rank apostasy or heresy. But you know what? If you ask me how I'm doing, you say Pete, how have you been? I say, Oh, we've been really, really good. Had a really good time, really good Christmas. We've I mean we've been really what? Busy. And you know I said that because you say that. How are things going? Well we're we're doing good, we're hanging in there. It's just I mean, it's been really busy. And it's not that you're busy with evil things, right? I'm not. I'm not saying you're. You know, oh, I've been really busy with this drug trafficking I'm doing. I mean, maybe you are. If you are, that's that's. I'm not. That's not what I've. I've just been busy. I've just been busy. I've replaced replaced tires on both of my cars in the last two weeks. And maybe your furnace needs to replace. And the lawn is overgrown. And it seems like always one of your kids is sick to some degree. And you know it's January and you need to get your stuff together to do your taxes. And your mom just texted you to find out if you received that birthday card because you forgot to thank her. And that's because you're up to your neck at work because the boss is really rotting you. And the Christmas lights are still on my house. Don't judge me. Some of you have that too. All right, some of you have the Christmas lights. I'm going to get to it. I'll get to it. And none of these things are necessarily evil in and of themselves, but they're thorns. They're thorns. And it's what Jesus refers to in verse 19 as the cares of this world. Just the cares of this world. The stuff you have to give a care about because you live today, here, right now, in this world. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things in verse 19. Who wouldn't turn down an extra buck or two in our wallets? I wouldn't. I mean, everybody needs some money sometimes. And if you could just have a little more, just a little more cushion, a little more margin in the wallet and in your budget, so many things would be so much easier, right? And so you take on that extra work or say yes to something that's, that's going to make you money in some way but cost you unbelievable valuable, irreplaceable time. And you know it'll come with a cost, but you also know you'll be able to afford that, I don't know, better vacation, nicer car, be able to keep up with the Joneses at the water cooler when you talk about your weekend or whatever. The deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. These choke the word. This is what happens when we hear the word on a Sunday. But you know what happens on Monday? Life! And the word gets choked out. We leave feeling good. We leave feeling challenged. We leave feeling equipped. And then life. And again, the thorns are not evil. It's not wrong to want to make money. It's not even wrong to want to make some more. But there's deceit that lies within the desire for riches. And it may solve some problems. Make some things a little better. But beware of the deceitfulness of In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul warns Timothy not about money, but about the love of money. Timothy, you can like it, don't love it. 1 John chapter 2, it's not wrong to want or like things, but the Bible tells us to not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Yeah, like them, that's fine. Like them just fine. Don't love them. Like money, just don't love it. Like the things of this world, just don't love it. It's the love of money, the love of the things of this world that we're told to avoid like the plague. And to bring it full circle to our topic today, as we look at these eight big rocks and three G's and one new vision statement, the word preached on Sunday will be choked out by Monday, if not sooner. If we are not not heretics, not drug dealers, neither of those help. I'm just saying if we're busy. John MacArthur says this, a person who comes to church but never becomes committed to serving, who is continually preoccupied with money, career, fashion, sports, and everything but the Lord's work is a person with a weed-infested heart. And the person who refuses to let go of his worldliness is a person in whom the seed of God's saving gospel has not found root and is danger of being choked out altogether. And that's just something for you to consider. I want to call our worship team up now, but I want you to be considering this because the mission and vision God has called us to is, and I can say this, it's awesome. It's, it's awesome. It's, it's rooted in God's word. It's safe to say it's awesome. I'm excited about it. I can't wait to hear Brad preach next week and give us our marching orders and call us to action. But I've lived long enough to know it will require to some degree some sacrifice on some part. And I'm asking you to consider this prayerfully. Is there an area in your life that is so consuming it is hindering fruitfulness for the Lord? I don't know. I'm not looking at you saying, I I know what it is for you and I know what it is for you. I got enough pruning to do in my own life, brother. Is there an area in your life that perhaps God would call you to, to, is calling you to prepare to have him prune back to prepare you for greater sacrifice and that noise and greater service for his kingdom (laughs) to the glory of God. I'm trying to move on. I'm trying to make like that didn't happen. And that's what I can't do. But I trust that by God's help, by God's grace, with his help, you can do that. You can pray. And that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit, right? That when I stop preaching, he keeps going. And when I preach generally to a room, he preaches specifically to you on an individual level and shows you what changes he would call you to make. Father, that's what we need for you to do for us. We need we need your help. We need you to show us blind spots, things that we can prune back, things that we can cut out. I don't know what. It, I don't know if it's time or money or activities or maybe it's just a perspective. That I, I, Lord, show us, Lord. We need your help. We need your help. If you're calling us to something great, and I think you are, Lord, we know it's going to require sacrifice. And just show us, learn, show us to, show us to know where to begin. Lord, what would you have us prepare to prune back so that you can do something even greater in our lives, something we don't know about, can't see, can't picture, but you know more than us. You have the big picture. Help us to grow. Help us to change. For your name's sake, amen.